Episode 170 Above Ground Podcast. Train kept a rolling with Andrew Lease. Disclaimer The hosts of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the perspective, it's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. What up, everyone? How's it going? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below, episode 170, coming right up. First huge thumbs up to Spitzy's Harley-Davidson for having Above Ground Podcast at their bike night finale on September 8th. We thank you so much. We appreciate being there. Uh, Tim was there by himself, and uh, he had some good conversations and and uh, was out there to be seen, man. You got to get it to everybody. And not everybody's going to want to take the information or not everybody's even going to think that they need the information. But the people that think that they don't need it are the ones that probably need it the most. But hey, who am I to judge? Uh, coming up September 25th is the Out of the Darkness Walk for Rita f- to benefit the Capital Region Chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And Above Ground Podcast will be there with a table, and I'll be working and doing all that. And our guest this week is the treasurer from the Capital Region Chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, Andrew Lease. And Andrew is a great friend and a super cool dude. Uh, He's actually a TV star, too. He was on one of those home-buying shows not that long ago. Um, I'll make sure I put it in the show notes. And I think you're going to find his story very, very beneficial, man. Uh, I'm glad that he chose to stay. And uh, he's making the world a better place, just like we try to. So here we go, episode 170, Train Kept a Rolling. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. What's up, TPP? What's going on, buddy? What's up? Ah, we're here again, man, and this morning we have a very special one. Uh, We are joined by a friend of the show, uh, Andrew Lease. Uh, Andrew Lease is actually the treasurer for the Capital Region Chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. He's also the co-chair for the Capital Region Walk for Rita, which is happening on Sunday, September 25th at Spa State Park in Saratoga. If you're in the 518, uh, we'd love to see you. Andrew has been a friend since I've met him, and Andrew's story is uh, is one that we can all relate to as he struggles with uh, suicidal ideation and, and has had some, some, some stuff go down in his life. And, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, man. It's, it's good to see you. I wish I got to see you other times besides, you know, different things like this, but at least I get to see you this way. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Um, thanks for having me. Awesome. Let's, let's jump right in, man. I know your story myself, but I, I want, 
we'd like you to share it with everybody that listens to us and kind of talk about how you got to the point of of wanting to die basically and and where you are now and how that's that whole rainbow has happened you know what i mean it's it's kind of a long trajectory of of yeah. illness to wellness yeah um and of course the unfortunately the, the illness is already is always there of course uh, i've been struggling with uh ideation since uh, probably middle school late middle school early high school didn't really know what it was um so kind of uh just thought people would be better off without me you know um thought the world would be better off if i wasn't in it that kind of stuff never really thought about suicide as an actual I guess the actual word um, and the actual, yeah, and actually an attempt or anything like that, but knew that it just kind of felt like everybody would be better off without me. So I didn't really know what that was um, until I went to the Walk for Rita. Went to the Walk for Rita. It was powerful. Um, And uh, I think this was seven, maybe, I think it was seven years ago. so I went to the walk for Rita, um, at the time, the job that I was in, um, they were offering a free day off. If we went, um, that was not the reason I went, but, <laughs> uh, I know it's the reason a lot of people went. So I went, I saw what the walk was and I wanted to get more involved. So that is actually how I got involved with AFSP. Um, I talked to the person that got us set up with the walk, um, and she got me onto the committee, but then, um, and then of course, afterwards onto the board. I mentioned that because that is, you know, AFSP is a part of my mental health journey, which is um, a really interesting way for me, I think. Um, But back in, um, let's see, it was five years ago now. Yeah. So back in 2017, I had, you know, my actual full-blown mental health crisis uh, kind of occur. I had took on a new job um, out in Utica driving in an hour and 15 minutes each direction, um, which is therapeutic, but not for that long for me. <laughs> uh, it just hits a point where I just start thinking and getting into my own head. Um, and and that's, that can be a dangerous place for me. So um, that had happened. And then I actually had, when I was younger and things really hit rough, uh, both of my grandfathers had passed away. Um, and then um, so in this scenario, both of my grandmothers actually had relatively major things happen. So one had a stroke and one had a hernia burst, and this was within about two weeks. So, um, in a weird way that kind of brought me back to when I was younger, uh, kind of brought some of those feelings back, just kind of the, the thought of the loss of them that quickly together. At the same time, I had just had a change in medication. My medication was increased, um, and there was an adverse reaction to that. So all those things together. Um, I was, um, I was working for a scenic railroad out in Utica. Um, and it was really interesting because at the time my executive director brought her dog into work every day. And if I was, if I was clear-minded and had a clear, you know, kind of a clear head, I would have realized what exactly what was happening, but she, um, she brought her dogs. She had a therapy dog and her therapy dog was spending probably 85 to 90% of the day with me. (laughs) So clearly the dog could tell something's going on. But anyway, so with that, I, uh, um, on my way home, kind of had some thoughts um, one day. um, And uh, in in a weird way, I was, I I didn't want anything to happen to anybody else. 
just just to me. So I'm driving an hour and 15 minutes. Um, I was essentially uh, hoping that something would happen to my car. And then realized my car is very safe. So when I got home, came up with a plan. Um, and it was quick. So I went from with a plan to um, kind of that moment of clarity in about two minutes. Um, realized what was happening. Realized I had a plan and that made it even more dangerous. Um, so I immediately was like, oh crap, I'm in a lot of trouble. So with that, um, and I, you know, with, with that, I ended up the next day seeing my prescriber, you know, back to the way I was before. So kind of, you know, pretending everything was good. My prescriber asked how everything was going on, said, everything is going good. Got to talking and she said, you know, Hey, do you think that it's time that we go inpatient? And I was like, hey, I don't know. I've done the trainings. I know that's exactly where I am and exactly where I should be. But I was like, I don't know. So we kept talking and finally my prescriber just said, all right, new decision. Either I need to call someone to take you or you need to call someone to take you. The issue is if I call someone to take you, I can't guarantee it's going to be an ambulance. It may be a cop. If you call someone, it's going to be, you know, someone, you know, and a loved one, and it's going to be a lot more comfortable. I kind of froze for a minute and her comment to me was, Andrew, you know, you know how this goes. And I was like, yes, but I've never been on this side. You know, um, I'm fantastic with helping others. Not so great with helping myself. Um, so yeah, um, with that, I went to an emergency crisis unit. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell like the place. Okay. So I went to Ellis emergency crisis. Um, I was there and, uh, got to talking, um, the social worker that was there agreed with me. And this was after talking to my wife, mother-in-law and my father. Um, but we all agreed that four wins in Saratoga is actually probably the best spot for me because it's all voluntary. And she agreed. Um, the, the social worker agreed because at Ellis as a public hospital, anyone could be on my floor and that might not be the most therapeutic scenario for me. So the next they actually kept me overnight at, at Ellis. Um, and the next morning uh, we had a phone call with four winds. They accepted me and um, yeah, I was, hoping that my father would be able to bring me, but they told me, unfortunately, no, it's got to go by ambulance. So I was transported up to four winds. Um, I was there for two weeks as an inpatient. Um, and then after that, uh, it was decided that I would be really good for their partial hospitalization program. So I did that for two weeks and then did the quote unquote step down to intensive outpatient. So it was only three days a week as a half day. Um, and did that for two more weeks. And then finally to a point where I was um, back at work, able to work. Um, but at the same time, um, we also realized things that needed to change. So um, I actually started with a new therapist as well. Um, prescriber was great, but the therapist, we decided a change needed to happen there. Since then, um, I've been using all those tools every day. It's a struggle every day. So I believe I am what they call passively suicidal. So I don't have a plan, but it's always a thought in my head. I don't see that changing um, anytime soon, if ever. Uh, I, I don't want to say that I'm okay with that, but I've come to, come to peace with that um, and understand that every morning I wake up and I'm going to need to use some of my tools to actually get up and, and start my day. Um, and some days it's easier than others. Um, but at this point, 
Um, I'm doing the best that I've done in probably a decade. Um, so I, I'm doing well. I um, realize the things that need to change and work to change on those things. Um, so I actually started a new job um, just a few months ago. Um, and that has been a huge change for me. And it's been a huge benefit for me because my mental health is a huge part of that. Um, so they're, you know, they're, they want to make sure that I'm okay. They want to make sure that my family is okay. Um, if I need to leave for something for my family, they're fine with it. Um, to the point where actually the other day I left to bring my dog to the vet. So, I mean, it's not just family, but you know, it's what I consider family, <laughs> you know, my wife and I don't have kids. We just, we just have our dogs, you know, they're, they're my kids now by having a manager, uh, and, um, and people that understand that around me is, is really been huge for me. Um, but I've realized the changes that I need to make and I've, I've been making those changes and, uh, I'm happy to say now I'm at, I'm at a really good point right now where, um, um, I'm just relatively, I don't want to say happy, but what I can get the closest I can get to happy, <laughs> at least so far. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a good turnaround and um, quick, I think too, which is kind of scary to me and, but also exciting. Um, it's not five years is not always the, you know, I know that there's no timeline for these things, but five years, it just, it feels quick to me. But, um, but that's okay. I mean, like I said, no timeline. And I I try to keep that in mind the best that I can. So, wow. Andrew, I got to first, thank you for sharing that um, with us. Um, But I want to go back because I I, I don't want to forget to ask this question. If you're willing, would you share the medication that you were on at the time? Yeah. Um, So at the time I was on, I was on Prozac. So they upgraded me. They kind of doubled my dose at the time. And I just had an adverse reaction and it, it happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it's nothing against the medication. It works. It worked wonderful at the lower, <laughs> at the lower level for a while. Um, but then when things really started to get more intense, unfortunately um, they increased it and it just didn't have the right kind of reaction for me. Um, so they actually completely changed everything for me when, once I got to four wins, uh, I really um, made sure that I was on, the, the right medications for me. And, um, that's part of the reason why, you know, kind of staying for two weeks on the inpatient side was really to make sure that the medication had time to actually the Prozac had time to get out of my system and the, the new, um, what do I take now? I take Tegretol now. So I actually change over to a mood stabilizer. So yeah, they, uh, there's a little bit of a discussion as to what, I guess my, um, my actual diagnosis is one is, just depression and anxiety. Um, a little bit more into that is some have mentioned maybe major depressive disorder. Um, and then the other one that I kind of find the most intriguing um, is um, bipolar two. So the two is a big part on that because that means that I get the depressive side, but I don't get the manic side. That's right. That's that's my diagnosis. Yeah, it went from major depressive disorder to that, and I just my uh, therapist that I was working with, who actually now I have to find it. I'm just finding another therapist again, um, but she actually ran through it with me recently, 
to just see if there was any change in that. And she's like, no, she's like, you're still, that's, she's like, that's still, she's like, I can honestly say that still sticks. Yeah. And a lot of people, uh, cause I've had a lot of conversations with people. Cause when people hear the words bipolar, they all automatically think it's, it's the manic part of it. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what everybody knows about. Everybody knows about the mania and, and what people do when they're in crisis or, or having an episode or whatever it is. But with the difference with the bipolar too is that you operate at a baseline depression right and and that and that cycle lasts way longer you'll get a little bit of mania that'll last a day i know for me sometimes it'll last a day or two and then mm-hmm. it's it like you just it's almost like being on a roller coaster and when you come over the top it's just whoo, just yeah. right down yep. and it feels like it never ends no, thank you. I thank you so much for sharing that with us, man. And thank you for, you know, putting yourself out there. But I, and I know I'm going to, I'm, Tim's probably thinking this already, but I'm going to say it before he does. For you to be able to recognize all of that and have to make the call yourself and everything takes so much strength that. I think everybody needs to hear that. It it is a show of the most ultimate strength to say I'm not doing well. I need help, and I struggle with the two, man. Because when you're a person that usually is the doer, you it, you know it's hard. It's hard to ask for help, and even asking for help and then accepting it is a completely different thing too. Uh, absolutely, and and I appreciate that. You just gave me chills. Um, ah, dude, I got ch- I got chills too, man. It's all good. It's all good. I love you, man. Uh, it, it, Andrew, I will say this: Andrew is one of the coolest coolest guys ever. He's uh, he's about six foot eight. So if you're at the uh, so if you're at the Rita Walk and you need to find someone, you'll be able to see Andrew above all of us. <laughs> six foot eight. You're shortchanging me. I know. Are you seven foot? I'm seven two. Are you really? <laughs> wow! <laughs> My God, dude. Yeah. Okay. Well, you yeah. know, every I'm looking up at everybody anyway. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, and uh, I I can't can't stress enough the the friendships that you make in these weird situations. Um, and I say that because. Um, I consider Will to be one of my, you know, one of my close friends, and especially when it comes to this stuff. Um, and that's kind of how we've bonded. You know, we, you know, we've bonded over other things as well. But uh, you know, the the main bond is kind of the the as, as Will has said, you know, riding the struggle bus. And that's been uh, that's been fantastic. You know, I, I've bonded with, you know, I, I still have some good friends from when I was, you know, in treatment at Four Winds, um, which is. Uh, it's a weird place to make friends. Um, I, I mean, I mean, I love. What, them, you, what year were you there? I was there in 2017. What year were you there? I have to look. Was I, it 16? No, it was 17. I think. Was it? Because I'm at, trying to think of when was, I ran into you. Was that was 18 or 19? Of, it was either at the end of 17 or the very beginning of 18. I'd have to look. Okay, I, I was September. Was, okay. I, and I remember that specifically because of the walk. I was helping out with the walk for Rita. I did the weirdest thing, in my opinion, um, realize it looking back on it now, not the smartest thing to do, but at the same time, one of the greatest things I could have done you know, in a weird way. Um, I got out of inpatient on Wednesday. Yeah. So on Wednesday, I got out of inpatient and on Sunday was the walk and I went. 
Dude, there's nothing like throwing yourself right into the right into the coal furnace of the train, man. Holy yeah. crap! Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. I, uh, That's my wife, wow. Yeah, my wife and I made a plan to essentially have an exit strategy. So we parked inside the park. You know, we knew it would cost us what eight dollars or something like that at the time. Um, but at least if I knew where, I knew exactly where we could park because I know that park well from planning the walk route. I knew exactly where we could park, where we could, any part of the walk route, we could get out easily. So if it became too much, we were just out. I made sure my wife knew that she had to tell me as well. Like she had to be a part of that. If she felt it was too much for me, we had to go. Um, but it was one of the greatest things I could have done. Um, I, I came in and the first person I saw was um, Katie. At the time she was the board chair. Yeah. Good old Kate. We love Katie. Um, Katie was on yeah. the podcast before, man. She uh, awesome. she had some she had a really intense story, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the greatest things that could have happened there is she gave me just a huge hug um, and just said, I'm glad you're still here. And it was the first time someone had said that to me. And it just it was the weirdest and greatest feeling um, that I could have had at the time. You know, um, because, you know, from there, you know, the next people I saw were, you know, were the, it was the board and it was the, uh, the walk committee, you know, and they all did the same. You know, I think the next person I saw was Sally, um, from the walk committee. Um, I know, Will, you know, Sally. Yes. I know Sally very well. This, she's part of the original Rita's man. It's yeah. Like she's the, you know, that, that that's quite the story too. It really is. It really is. And uh, she gave me a huge hug. And I don't think anyone, um, don't tell my wife this, but I don't think anyone gives better hugs than Sally. (laughs) (laughs) I'll edit that one out. That's kind of like Dan's, that's kind of like Dan's Dan's mother-in-law, I'll call her. She's a good hugger too. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, so she, so Sally might have a run for her money. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, and that was absolutely fantastic. We ended up actually doing the full walk. Um, my mother-in-law basically said, we're just going to, usually my in-laws are there with me. Um, so my, my team is really mostly them, um, just because most of my family is not in the area. <laughs> um, so with that, um, she, you know, my mother-in-law made the call essentially for the rest of the family that just me and Brittany, my wife, were going to go and nobody else. That way it wasn't too overwhelming on that side as well. My wife's mother, my mother-in-law has been probably one of my best supports through all of it. It's really interesting because she's got a different kind of spin on it. So she'll, she's got that kind of kick in the pants, you know, let, let's get going, you know, enough, enough is enough kind of mentality at times. And it's exactly what you need sometimes. Um, I mean, definitely not all the time. You know, I know when I need to call her and when I need to call somebody else, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she's also, I mean, she's very nurturing as well, but yeah, it's just kind of that, like, no, like, you know, you know, even to the point where, you know, if, uh, when I see her, she asks how I'm doing, I'm like, oh, I'm doing all right. Like, why are you doing, why only all right? Like, what's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah. Um, but no, she's, she's been fantastic. I, I didn't realize the support I had, um, until, everything happened. You know, one of the most memorable things is 
I called each of my siblings. Um, so I live in the Schenectady area, I guess, just outside of Schenectady. My brother lives outside of Syracuse. I have a sister in Newtown and I have a sister in London or just outside of London. So we're everywhere. It was one of those kind of scenarios where you kind of hit and I, I just called each one of them individually. And it's something that I've always known and we all know, but we just don't say it. Um, but at the end of every single call, each one of them just stopped and paused. And I was like, look, Andy, like, I love you. And that was so emotional, actually, you know, I just, I know that, but hearing them say it is different. You know what I mean? And it's just one of those things. And it's to the point now where, you know, that kind of happens every single time now, you know, we end, we have group calls, thanks to COVID, <laughs> we decided to do weekly group calls. And uh, at the end of every single call, it's, uh, you know, hey, love you guys. Like, we say it every time we can now because we understand, you know, mental health affects all of us. You know, we all suffer from that depression as well um, and anxiety as well. And yeah, just something as small as that can kind of go a long way. I know Tim wants to add something, but I just, I want to stress that everyone has mental health. Not everyone has mental illness. And, right. and that's the thing, like, I think, because again, like you just said, we don't talk about these things or we don't. And again, during your struggle, during your struggles when you were younger, did you, you didn't, you couldn't talk about it because you didn't know how to talk about it. Is that part of, was that part of the issue or did you always know that it was something more serious? I think that was definitely part of the issue. Uh, I think my mom knew it was more serious. Uh, she did bring me to a counselor, you know, it, and at that time um, she brought me to a counselor because of something specific that I said to her. Um, so at that time my parents separated. So my father had moved out. Um, probably two or three years before that my brother went to college my sister actually went to college that the same year and both of my grandfathers had died so apparently i turned to my mother and said you know why is everybody leaving me um so that's where she kind of the red flag hit for her um because my, my mother has her struggles with mental health as well uh -huh. So she, I was gonna, I was gonna me. ask that. Yeah, I was gonna ask if there was any correlation in the family, because usually there's someone, whether it's a grandfather, great grandfather. But and it, as we all know, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to stress this: okay. it's never just one thing. A lot of people think it's one thing, but it's never one thing. It's usually a cascade of items that happen or experiences that. And, and a lot of it comes from you have experiences in the past that have shaped the way you think about yourself. And then all of a sudden you see the repeat effect of this and it's a cycle and it goes through. And then all of a sudden you're stuck in this mode again of, oh my gosh, this is happening to me again. What the fuck is going on? And then... And then it then it cascades, and then all you need is for is all you need is for that Jenga block to be pulled out for the whole fucking thing to come down. Absolutely, and, and I think the weirdest part for me as well is that I tried to protect everyone around me. I never lost my compassion for other people, just myself, and that's a weird feeling to have, and weird. It's a weird thing to say, <laughs> you know. Um, but I mean, I thought I was protecting my wife. I didn't tell her one hundred percent what was going on, so. Um, she knew that I was struggling with my depression, but it wasn't until we went to, you know, until she met me at Alice crisis that it kind of realized, Oh, this is much worse. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. I think, I mean, I, you know, I know that I have at least, I have, you know, aunts and uncles that struggle with it. There's only, I think only one of my 
siblings. I have, you know, one of my sisters has not been treated for it. Everybody else has been treated for something. Um, and usually it's a form of anxiety as well as a form of depression. What's painful, I think, is I can see it in others. And that's tough because I can see it in other family members. That that can definitely be, it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of uh, surreal, you know, you know, when people say, you know, oh, I can see myself in, you know, whoever, like, yeah, but I see myself in that person in a very different way. Wow. And that's a Andrew, scary... when you, you had mentioned uh, just a, a minute ago about your wife and like you didn't want to tell her or, or for mm-hmm. anybody that's close, you know, you, you have that, that doubt or whatever that is <clears throat> inside of you that doesn't want to maybe place the burden on somebody or looking back on it now, what can you say about that? Oh, I was hundred percent wrong. So back at that time, the only person I would say that I was really fully open with about my mental health was my prescriber. I was seeing my therapist, it's more of a conversation than it was therapy. So I, you know, that was one of the biggest issues I had was that I didn't have any coping skills, at least none that worked for me, which I guess really means none. So, but no, I thought I was protecting her and um, we've, I've come a long way in realizing that I, I mean, I tell her everything because I have to, you know, because she is my number one support. You know, the only, I mean, I can tell my dogs everything, but they can't really help as much, although they help a lot. Um, but, but no, I, I tell her everything um, because she needs to know to be able to help me because there's some things I didn't realize, you know, I, I didn't realize I, like talking to her and letting her know exactly what's going on. Like she can help either herself or getting other people involved. I don't need to go into a full-blown blown crisis to get help. I, you know, it's better to get help before then. Um, I just, I don't think I ever really fully realized that. Yeah, generally when you're in full-blown crisis, that's the, you've already passed the red line generally in that. Right. And I think a lot of, I think, I, at least for myself, I don't necessarily know if it's easy to recognize all the time. Because you're so, like you said, like you get caught in your day-to-day cycle of life. You know what I mean? But when when you're left alone with your own thoughts, that's when reality really smacks you upside the head. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's, I mean, that, that's the biggest thing for me. I'm a, I'm a big, uh, and I still have to work on this, I'm a big negative self-talker. Um, to the point where we had these sheets inside the partial hospitalization and IOP programs where, you know, we got to write down something about like where we were on certain things and all these different things were on there. And one of them was addiction. And I put that down as an addiction. Oh, addiction to negative self-talk. Yeah. That's, that's unique, man. You just actually, you just blew my mind on that one. Cause I hadn't thought about that actually. Yeah. Cause for me, you know, realizing that I'm, that the negative self-talk is happening. I, didn't switch to positive. I just drilled down on it and I did it all the time. I did it every day, all, all the time. So, so yeah, I finally like I reached, you know, I I got to a point where I I said to one of the therapists there, can I put something unconventional? They're like, yeah, what are you thinking? I was like negative self-talk. And they were like, yes, I think that's a good way to put it for you because I just, yeah, I just drilled down and drilled down on it until I was in a complete spiral. Um, so it's still a struggle for me not to do that, you know, to really change that 
that mind frame and, and change that talk into something positive. Uh, and yeah, it's definitely, it was an interesting way to put it, but it's, for me, it was the right way to put it, you know, because um, I almost looked for the negative self-talk so I could drill down on it. I know, I know Tim was having a thought that, but I, and I don't know if I'm going to jump over him with this one because this, we're all about tips, tools, and, and what we can add to everybody's toolbox or bat or bat utility belt, as we like to say, because I'm a really big Batman fan, but um, what is, because you talked about not having any tools. So what was the first tool or what is the most beneficial tool for you to recognize stuff? Recognize stuff. Um, I don't know. <laughs> In all honesty. <laughs> whatever, well, whatever that tool is that helps you get through the, the day the tool that helps that get the one that helps me the most is um I'm trying to think of which one it's called now but essentially it's it's not distraction but it's um i'm trying to remember what they call it building now are you um, talking dbt skill i'm talking that you skill, yeah. distress tolerance no um this one was building mastery i think is what it's called so okay the thing that helps me the most is it's a little bit of distraction and a little bit of building mastery. Um, and it's two things that helps me the most. Uh, I do model railroading because of course I'm seven two. So why wouldn't I play with tiny trains? Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> um, but no, I, and I do quite a bit with that. So right now I'm big into um, researching the, the area that I'm trying to model. Um, because I'm trying to do something kind of weird. Um, but I'm trying to take an old rail line and pretend that it's still there like today, or in this case, in like 2012. Um, so I'm doing a lot of research on that line as to what was on that line and that kind of stuff. And I dive full on into that. It's incredible um, what people who do this stuff, because we have my wife's uncle is a model railroader himself, and we've had conversations about this, man. And it's it's amazing that we don't think about our hobbies as tools because they really are tools man and and there's nothing wrong with distraction sometimes you need to distract yourself but it's when you distract yourself to the point of ignorance is when we run into trouble right right and that's Absolutely. why this works yeah and that's why this works so well for me because i'm able to it, it's building mastery it's kind of reframing my brain to learn something else you know what i mean to try to yeah, to learn something other than, you know, the being creative. I think being creative. I think being creative yeah. is something that isn't talked about enough. You know, just like Will said it's with it. the with the hobbies. I've said I've said a hobby from day one. If you find something that you can that brings you joy, that that, you know, maybe it's not something that you can do all the time or that you you spend a day doing it, but one thing, just find that one thing. You know, whether Absolutely. it's coin coin collecting or or building you know, railroads, uh, you're, you, you know what I mean? It's like you said, mm -hmm. it, it kind of is a distraction in a way. It's a positive distraction though. It's utilizing different parts of your brain and focusing on being creative and, and, and mastering something. Right. Absolutely. And you're right. I think creativity is very underrated as a tool in this kind of a, in, in mental health, um, because there's so many different things. And I think, and will for you is, is music a good, um, I would say this, uh, music is, has a benefit for sure, but it also has a 
it has a negative too because music has a different connotation for me. Um, okay. I, what, the one thing that, that really helps me is just taking a walk, like being outside, um, taking a walk. And I love music, don't get me wrong, but the problem is, is the creative part of me fights with the part of me that just enjoys listening to music. And, and recently, I've, I've really enjoyed listening to music. Like I'm listening to a lot of different stuff now, which I wasn't before. And I'm starting to realize that I can use other types and forms of music at certain times and I can't withstand some of it at certain times because I you know I'm a huge death metal black metal fan or I've become a black metal fan over the years but it's like that kind of music has a certain place where it doesn't work for me at other times so and that's taken me a long time to get to yeah and Tim Tim's a motorcycle guy so and and that's one thing that I lack now because I rode for a long time and I, I, we were talking about this the other day, and I kind of think that that part of led to some of my issues also, because back in the time when I was riding, I didn't have a lot of these issues because I was able to just get out, blow off steam, hit a throttle, and just go and, and be out. Because and, you're not watching a TV screen. You're not watching through the glass. You're in it, and you can smell it and taste it. And there's a little bit of danger in there, obviously, a lot more danger now in 2022 when you watch people driving on the fucking road. We all need a positive thing but the biggest part of i think what what helps you is is that creative part it get and tim was saying it because i've learned this as as a peer that the creative part of it and art therapy is very very beneficial to a lot of people mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't equate creating art or poetry or any of that stuff to actually helping your mental health yeah um i completely and that's I agree. I mean, I can see the side with music as well. You know, there's certain songs that I know and certain artists that I know I need to stay away from when I'm having a tough time. Sure, because they know? can drill um, the negative into you because you have experiences to those songs. You have you have stories that you tell yourself to those songs. And it's no, you're absolutely right. And uh, recently, my siblings um, together on a Spotify kind of put together a, a group where our like our like music all kind of hits. Um, and it's, it's one of the greatest and sometimes funniest. Um, but one of the things on there is I made the comment. My, so my sister, Bethany doesn't have Spotify, so she can't join it. And I took a screenshot and I was like, it's okay. It's, it sounds pretty depressing. Um, when you, when you look you know, there's a song called, you know, like ultimate loser. There's one called please don't die. And then there's one that's called, you know, the hazards of love. And I was like, this is like every other song just sounded really depressing just off the name. Um, so, um, but at the same time, my, uh, my sister uh, Meredith um, has a, a young boy. He is 16 or 17 months now I'm trying to remember half of the music that comes on from her is, you know, beauty and the beast as like a <laughs> instrumental. So I'll be working and listening to it. And I'm like, well, this works pretty well. Cause I'm, about to fall asleep on my desk. <laughs> I had the thought that binaural beats would only work for you with the headphones because that's what that's what everybody says, and that's what all people who put those out say they're best used with the headphones. But my acupuncturist actually will put that playlist on when he's when when you're laying on the table with the needles in you, 
and I started to I've started to create playlists at work just to have that kind of stuff because because now I have to use a little bit of creativity now which I wasn't able to use before so I have to come up with some other other avenues so it's awesome yeah that, definitely that you have that yeah it's um and it's another thing that you know just brings my siblings even closer I think we were close beforehand but I don't think we realized like we would do individual phone calls with each other but I actually find that to be a big thing you know that phone call was probably one of the it's one of the best things for me personally that has come out of COVID and it's one of the things that has helped me the most as to during COVID not spiraling in fear. I was even in a group specifically about working at home through COVID. That's, you know, because that was a real concern for me was that working from home, not seeing other people other than my wife. I love my wife, but you know, it did get to a point where I told her, you know, I love you, but I want to see other people. Not in that way. Just, I want to physically see someone, (laughs) Um, you know, I just, (laughs) Because it was, you know, for months, it was the two of us and, and the dogs. The dogs are great um, when it comes to a conversation because um, they never talk back. But um, <laughs> it all depends on the conversation you're having, though. Um, but no, like, I, I think like those, that group was huge for me because, it, I mean, anxiety is up enough. You know what I mean? I have a baseline anxiety, of course, you know, be, you know, being diagnosed with anxiety, of course I have one. Um, but that baseline anxiety went up. There was a difference there that we kind of saw in that group um, to kind of head in a, a slightly different direction than where I was. In that group, we realized that everyone's baseline anxiety went up. So if you were not diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, anxiety is still there because it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be that, that fight or flight kind of, I'm in danger, something's wrong. So for a lot of people, I think they were experiencing that feeling for the first time. Maybe not for the first time. Maybe able to, the ability to recognize it for the first time. I, I think having it daily for the first time. Like okay. It's not a specific situation. Every single minute of every single day, I'm kind of scared because this COVID thing is terrifying, especially at the beginning. Yeah, of course, because we don't know. And I think, and this is the one shared experience that in we've all gone through. Like we have not had like we've not had in a shared experience this way in in many many years. Andrew, no. it it seems like that um, support has been huge for you, and there, and you've actually talked quite a bit about it. It like laterally, I guess you could say. What for you personally? What does support look like? What what would be a good uh, definition of support? A good definition of support um, for me, it has to be fluid. And it's a weird way to say that, but you have to understand that at certain times of certain whatever, anyone can kind of change where they are in regards to your support structure. Um, And this is something that I haven't talked about a lot, but I will say here. Um, So when I was younger, you know, when my father moved out, I don't think he really knew how to be a father in that scenario because everyone knew it was his decision. So with that, I had to make the effort to say, hey, once a week, we're going to have dinner together, which at the time I was like, this is weird. Like I shouldn't be the adult in this situation. Looking back on it now, I see he, it's because he didn't really know. I don't think he really knew what to do in that situation. My, I was very close with my mom. I was still close with my dad, but when, when it came to support and that kind of stuff, my mom definitely would have been probably number two on the list. My wife is number one, hands down all the time. And the, the reason for that is, 
um, well, because we are with each other every day. Um, we both actually um, suffer from anxiety and depression, you know, so we can see it in each other as well as ourselves. Um, and, and yeah, like she's, you know, she's the person that I have, I shouldn't say I have chosen, but we have chosen to go through life together, you know? So, um, you know, there are times where I realize I need to head to like, like she's having a tough time as well right now. Maybe I need to head to the, the next person just to be, you know, but, um, but for me, yeah. So she's always number one, but number two used to be my mom. Um, <clears throat> my mom moved away to Texas and our relationship had changed. Um, and with that, um, I didn't realize how much it had changed until I went inpatient. And the person that was there for me all the time was my dad. So, um, I mean, I think, I think before going into inpatient, it would have been my wife and then my mom, and then it would have been my siblings. And I don't really know what order that would have been in. And then it would have been my dad, but my mom and my dad switched when I went inpatient. So yeah. it's got to be fluid. I, and I understand what you're saying by that, because you can't always count on individual one or two. You have to have other supports, which, which sometimes is hard for people. It's hard for people to put one support together, let alone have a succession of supports. One of the big things there was when I was inpatient. Um, so my dad brought me from the doctor to Ellis. He followed the ambulance from Ellis to Fort Winds. You know, he was there for the entire intake process, you know, and then from there on out, there was only one day I didn't see him. And that's because he had to bring my work laptop to Utica. Otherwise, he was there every single day and he coordinated with my wife, who it was a little much for her. So she did every other day. She came with her mom every other day. Uh, and I completely 100% understand um, because she has to make sure that she stays safe as well. Absolutely. Um, um, but yeah, I think it was weird because we got to the point of the support plan and at the time i was like i i feel like i need to put my mom on it and the therapist said why this is for you not for her that was the biggest moment for me i think when it comes to support like realizing everyone's support plan is different and it needs to be for you it, it can't be you know no matter how compassionate you are about other people and how much you don't want to hurt other people's feelings first of all Who's going to see your support plan? Nobody. Just exactly. you. Just you and your right. provider, your team. That's it. Your right. care team and you. So the, the tough thing there, though, was the rest of my family was on it. So, um, <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, that has changed since then. You know what I mean? I was going to ask you, so, is that relationship healed? In yeah, it's, it's healed a bit. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it'll ever go back to how it was, which is, that's just how relationships are. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, you start to realize that with relationships, man. They can never go back to what you first envisioned. Right. Um, but sometimes that's okay. So, and I say that because the relationship with my dad, coming to the realization that, like, you know, as I get older, realizing he didn't he didn't really know what to do. You know, that's why I had to be the one to, to reach out because he didn't know if, I don't think he knew if I really wanted him to be reaching out to me or not because he was the one that left, which, I mean, I, looking back on it, I could see that at the time I was like, what do you mean? You're my dad. Of course I do. Like, but you know, he didn't know that. And 
he wasn't in a place to either to ask either you know what i mean to, to check and see now it's much different because I, I feel you know of course now that i'm in my 30s especially like is he my dad yeah but your relationship with your parents changes to the point where like he's my dad but he's more of a friend than he's a parent you know what i mean absolutely um, yeah i i'm i'm still fairly close to my dad even though i don't reach out to him as much because as we know man relationships are complicated and mm-hmm. and you know it is what it it's is. got to be the right time for you it is and and i've realized in i've realized through all the therapy and and like just talking to people and tim and me i've realized that i am a big part of that problem also that i i withdraw from people a lot because it's just sometimes it's just easier but you don't realize that that you know affects everything else either and i'm right. trying to get it's, better at that i'm trying to get better at it but it's it's yeah. still it's still hard well and, and that's the other thing is that it's also it's like i said with the negative self-talk it becomes a habit with that like you know it, the fact that you're working on that is fantastic you know and it, who knows how long it'll take it'll take time um but understanding that you know you're right withdrawing from someone can definitely be easier but like you said not always healthier good luck with it you know hey thanks man well you yeah. know we're, we're doing all right it's you know yeah. as we know man life is you know, as as a railroad man, you know you go through one town to the next, one railroad crossing over the next, and not every yep. not every trip is gonna, you know, be the same. So, and the so. best thing to do is to like you know kind of go with the theme and and make a plan. You know, you mentioned earlier about having uh, an escape plan, so to speak, at you know back at at Rita, and I, I I've done that. I I've actually done that before I knew I was doing it. I would actually like live my life that way. And I, and in the beginning I looked at it as a negative thing because I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm always so anxious. Why do I have to blah, blah, blah. And like come down on myself. And now I'm just like, well, Hey, this, it is what it is. Right. We have to accept it and go, if, if this is what I have to do to, to be able to go to this event or to, to do this, then, then so be it. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest thing is, you know, I, you're right. I think, the biggest thing that I've actually found through all of my treatment is putting words to things. Mm. You know what I mean? Realizing what something is and putting a name to it can, can help a lot. I, 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 we talked about this a long time ago during when we were doing this, the beginning episodes of this podcast. And that has been the biggest benefit for me. And I'm going to share this and I share this everywhere. I actually just printed a bunch of these out for work and Byron Katie, the author, has a book, um, and and her website is I think it's thework.com, I think it is. But she has one of the most extensive lists of positive and negative emotions there is, and I'll share the PDF in this, the link to the PDF in the in the show notes for this. We don't realize what not being able to communicate how we feel does to ourselves because you said you're addicted to negative self-talk. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're a negative Nelly who just keeps plunging it down on on himself until you until it's just over, so overwhelming. But because you didn't have the language to speak, and again, we're not taught. We're only taught like the six, seven basic emotions. 
but yet it's never those it, it yes okay those are a good start but it's never it's never just anger it's always like two layers deeper or maybe even you know the onion gets a little deeper than that yeah and and that's uh you're absolutely right there you know it's it's one of those putting words to feelings you know i wasn't able to work on negative self talk until i realized that's what it was and putting that word to it now means okay i have something that i can work towards or I guess against in that scenario, <laughs> you know, but it's also, you know, words like um, things like understanding that I am passively suicidal and using things like there's a difference between passively and actively, and there's a huge difference. And, you know, the risk of course goes astronomical in that scenario um, going from, from passively to actively. And I don't know. Something we don't talk about enough, actually, it yeah. is is that I I I tried to do a, a little video on it um, a while ago to to bring to bring it up, you know, to start the conversation on it because you know, as you say, I think there's a lot lot of us out there walking around with with passive ideations. I'm trying to think of the best way to say what I'm trying to think here. Passively suicidal is not it's not good, but some of us just live with it. Right. Some of us don't, you know, some of us just have to live with it. Actively suicidal. We, nobody can live with that. And that's the, the full blown crisis. You know, that's the, you know, um, maybe so, we can look so, at it as, as the passive is, is not necessarily good, but it's not necessarily bad either. Right. It's right. just there. It's just thoughts. And it, I mm -hmm. think the thoughts that we place on top of that are what determines it and what can be, considered more of a bad or a negative a positive you know like i have these thoughts all right oh i shouldn't be having these thoughts and these thoughts are bad and, and then you start you know then that's that snowball effect and you're going to be you know the negative talk is going to be in full effect before the you know the snowman's built yeah and that's actually um i'm glad that you actually say that because that was actually one of the biggest things for me when i went inpatient for the first two or three days my biggest struggle being inpatient was how can I be thinking about suicide when I like I preach suicide prevention? How can I be considering this? Like, like you know what I mean? Like, really, and of course, negative self talk again. You know, kind right. of drill down. No, on and, that. and that's the thing. And I, I don't know what what it is that we do. Maybe it's a it's a society thing or what. But we put, you know, like you just did. Like we put these, uh, we put ourselves in groups or we put people in groups. Like, hey, I'm a I do this, like I've never been on the other side, you know, but at the same time, yeah, you know what you do, but you're also human, just as if your therapist who went through school and, and has their degrees and all these other things, they've studied it. And, but you know what, they're human, they're going to go through it, you know? Right. Right. And I think that's the other big thing that, you know, people don't think about that side either. Right. Like there's every therapist has a therapist. Because Every good how, therapist has a therapist. Ooh, that's fair. <laughs> uh, that's fair. Um, because yeah, like it's yeah, it's. I can only imagine that that's not how much that can weigh on you on certain things. But but no, I I think um, I think you're right. Like just kind of, you know, my thought was I shouldn't be like well, you know, I I didn't do self care very well at the time. You know, I'm big into trains, working for a railroad. You know working with people as a, I was a volunteer coordinator of the railroad, you know, I'm, I'm working with people and I'm working with trains. This is my self-care. Nope. This is work. Well, I was going to right, And I was actually, that's kind of because when you would have said about the music thing for me, that's, yeah. that's the conundrum that you have when you 
constantly are trying to keep yourself booked in in certain things and 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 going and it becomes your whole encompassing thing how did you when how long did it take you to recognize that it may not have been a positive for you as when did the when did the honeymoon phase wear off of that did it or was it or do you think it was more just because you were struggling that the honeymoon phase passed i'll be honest the honeymoon phase didn't pass until well after so um it's weird to say that but i uh i loved that job you know it, um there was a change in management that i knew was not going to be good for my mental health and that's why i left that's where the honeymoon phase ended ah it it does go to so, show man that other individuals can make other struggles really amplified and and stuff right. and and i went back to where i had been working and I went back there because I had been in man- I had been under management there that supported my mental health. So yeah, so I, I kind of had to make that that was not an easy decision to make because you know the volunteers were awesome. Uh, I miss them all the time. <laughs> you know, because it's not like I necessarily live around them either. Um, being an hour and 15 minutes away from where we volunteered or two and a half almost, because um, the other one was up in uh, they called it Sendera. But it was something else by Enchanted Forest Water Safari. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, where the fun never stops, (laughs) and the train and the train rolls on. (laughs) Um, But yeah, um, if it if it was that, you know what I mean. But I knew that the the management um, was not. It was just not a good move. So the we had a general manager, and then we had an executive director. The executive director left. And the general manager, I could see that the board was putting all their faith into the, the general manager. And that's where I went, nope. Um, this is the primary toxic thing as a job. Um, so I need to be out. And I actually have gone back to volunteer a couple of times. That person is now gone. So I can go back and volunteer more now. Um, unfortunately, COVID hit. So I didn't really want to. Just because the big you know, air circulation, all that. We're looking at 1950s era cars. I don't know if air circulation was really their priority. Um, now when you're using, <laughs> now when you're using coal to fire everything, no, it's right. not. So, so yeah, um, it was just kind of interesting that, you know, I, I kind of headed back and then I just dove more into the model railroading and that community. Even, you know, I made some really good friends in that community um, because I, I've been open about it. And yeah, being open about it, and you know, some people will shy away from you. Or some people will, whatever, they have their thoughts, they have their feelings about it, whatever. Um, but a lot of people, you know, I found have that compassion, you know, and then, you know, you have compassion towards somebody and you have something that you enjoy together. You know, um, it's the relationships that I've made in there have been really, really kind of uh, lately have been really, really cool and really helpful. That's awesome, man. Uh, getting back to the support stuff. Yeah, I think fluid and... There's so many different, it's got to be a mixture of kind of, I don't want to say all walks of life, but all, all of your walks of life. That's so a good I way to put it, man. That's a good yeah. way. I've never, that's, that's really cool the way you just stated that. Thank you. Um, Cause I, I think like for me, especially there's Andrew, there's suicide prevention, Andrew, there's model railroad, Andrew, you know, in those communities I've got, you know, I've got Dan, I've got um, Will, I have you, you know, I've got, um, you know, a good portion of the board and a good portion of the, the committee, you know, that I can reach out to at any time. Um, and then, you know, model railroading, I've got, you know, a, a few friends there as well. Um, 
And then, you know, just regular everyday life, Andy, you know, I've got my mother-in-law, my father, you know, my brother and sisters, my sister-in-law, you know, weird support, like that people don't think of my dogs. Ah, that's, that's a big, huge thing, man. Animals. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, my little guy, Stuart, we've had him now for four years and he's a little ball of anxiety at times, but he also can tell when I have anxiety. So it's really interesting to see, you know, there's times where he comes over to me because he's anxiety, he's got anxiety. And then other times he'll come over to me and he lays across my chest and that's, you know, he's 25 pounds. Wow. Yeah. So he's like a little weighted blanket. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, But he can tell when my anxiety is up as well. And he, you know, he's my, he's my buddy. Um, you know, that's awesome. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Timmy, do you have anything else before we, before we circle back around and finish up? I do not just, um, you know, thank you, Andrew. This has been a really amazing conversation. Um, grateful to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be on, to be honest. Um, yeah. I'm sorry it's taken so long to do this, man. No, not at all. I mean, I I understand. I completely understand, you know, because it, be, it would be tough to have, you know, multiple people with similar, you know, kind of similar... You gotta you gotta mix it up. You have to see different sides, different viewpoints, different things. So, I completely understand. Um, this is not I'm a glad that we could finally do it. Yeah, this is not a story uncommon to anybody, man. This is like we've realized this. I think I at least I can only speak from my own personal experience. I've realized more now than ever that. Like we we think about these things when we're a kid. The world's so big. Like you talk about your dad leaving and stuff. We think we're the only ones going through this. And even mm-hmm. even as grownups, we can get caught up in that. And and it's hard not to because basically when you're supposed to be quote unquote grown up, you know you have your own thing, and it's then your circle becomes smaller. And uh, oftentimes because you know you're not hanging out on the weekends all the time because you got to mow the lawn, you got to do all this other stuff. So thank you, man. And the most, the, what I want to say the most is thank you for staying. Like that's, thank you. that's to me is again, and I, I cannot stress this enough that that is one of the biggest shows of personal strength there is. So thank you. I appreciate more, that. And, and you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right on that. You know, I know people will see, people will claim that there's a weakness there, but I, I, I'm with you. I completely agree. I, I disagree with that. I think it's it's a show of strength to be able to to work on it. Everyone needs to hear that they matter. Um, and there's nothing. I don't think there's anything more important than hearing that and and having that support to tell you that. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, we're gonna wrap up with our what I'm what I've sort of deemed our lightning round, even though it's not really supposed to be fast or anything, but um I'm gonna let Timmy ask you the first question. Andrew, do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? One of my least favorite is commit. Um and that's because of the work I do with AFSP. Nine times out of ten when you hear that word, it it is involved with suicide and that just makes it sound like it's a crime or that they did something that, you know, was was bad you know um they committed an offense you know i think things have gotten better there going from committing to to more of a um died by suicide you know you, you die by cancer you you die by you know all kinds of different you know uh, heart disease you die by all these different things you die by suicide um my 
I don't know. I guess a favorite word is trains. <laughs> you know, ah, I love it. <laughs> well, and it's, it, I will say this, like when you talk about that, like when we talk about the things that really matter, you, we, we light up and it's, and you, and you're like, you light up when you talk about trains, just like a locomotive crossing, man. It's just like, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And actually, you just kind of so are we. We've been getting better at this as as we've done this because now we're over three years of doing this, which is hard to believe that we've strung three years together in a row of a hundred and sixty seventy plus episodes. By the time this comes out, um, and I used to ask about animals all the time, but I've kind of. I've kind of decided that life is like jazz, so why not improvise if something hits you? So you kind of led right into it with your favorite word being trains. What is something that has, have trains taught you anything about your own mental health? I don't know if trains have, but model railroading has. And yeah, I'm sorry. Big... I should have stressed no, that. It's, no, but Because the thing is, is most people, like, like my granddad worked on worked on the railroad. Right. He was in Mechanicville. He worked on the railroad. I believe he was, uh, I believe he shoveled the coal into the engine. I think oh, I'm not, I don't so want to say, or he may have been a mechanic. I, I'm not sure. I can't remember, but okay. people who have a deep affinity for trains have it a lot of times as a nostalgia thing, or they had a family member. So have, has, what is model railroading taught you about your mental um, health? Patience. You have to be patient. You know, it's, it's a, it's a work in progress. And, and the interesting thing is one of the big things in the model railroading community, especially when it comes to a layout, um, people always say that a layout is never finished. Neither is your work on yourself. Oh, I love it, dude. That was, that was, dude, you just dropped the mic right there. <laughs> Cause, and, and, and I can say this as talking to other people that that's a fact, like the layouts are never done and, and yeah. neither, neither are you. Cause you're right. not the same. You were five minutes ago. You're not the same since you began this conversation, just like neither Tim nor I are. Yeah, absolutely. So the work on yourself, yeah, it's constant. Yeah, that train keeps rolling. Yeah, definitely. So if there was something that you could do or that you would like to see done for mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, what would it be? Only one thing? I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, if you, um, I mean if you got if you got a checklist, you can run through them because we'll have you back. We'll have you back on. <laughs> I have a. Um, I think there's a huge checklist um, that needs to be done, but the the top two things that come to mind right away. Um, one is mobile crisis. I think there needs to be a lot more. Um, it's and I, I think it's coming around. You know, I, I recently, probably a few months ago, I read about an incident in Troy where Rensselaer County mobile crisis came in as well. And the, the person had uh, kind of boarded themselves up in their house. But the police worked with, metal, with mobile crisis, talked them down, got them to come out, and then ultimately worked with them to start getting them the, the help that they needed instead of, instead of, you know, not having that. And the police have enough on their plate, you know. Um, so no matter how you look at it. Um, so having mobile crisis versus the police having to learn how to talk about mental health and, and get those conversations going to start bringing somebody kind of, you know, de- you can de-escalate a situation, yes, but de-escalating that person is, is 
in a mental health crisis is different. So not just mental, like not just that more counties, I think need it. I think everyone needs it. I, I, you know, I know, you know, Rensselaer County, they said in that article that, you know, they have one mobile crisis. So, yeah, I can, I can tell you this now because I, um, I'm doing these things and I do have a list of phone numbers for crisis units for all the counties that the nine counties that I'm involved in. However, some of these services are not available 24 seven and there is only one team. And I, and, and I, I can concur about, about Troy. Um, and I had a similar situation with my mom back in 2000. 20 i think it was at this point and uh i had exhausted all my resources and every part of the system came together in one day and and it was very overwhelming at times and again i i don't personally feel that the police are the first line of anything for mental health it's not it, it's it, because it creates another sense of tension oftentimes. But I also mm-hmm. understand and it's and, and again, I don't I don't want to leave it at their doorstep. We need to we need trained professionals, but that's a whole discussion for another thing as what a trained professional right. is and how many there are. Yeah. And, that, and I think that's the thing that you go because, you know, something happens in Troy. But what, what if something happens in Rensselaer in the city of Rensselaer? Sorry, mobile crisis is in Troy. And now. Who knows? So I think having, and I don't even know if it's the county, but maybe the different local municipalities is yeah, probably like the multiple, better way. Multiple ones, so that way yeah. it would be available. You yeah. Know? So have have the county have one, but also have like the right. city of Troy's, you know, Rensselaer, East Greenbush, all those have one as well. You know, and then the county can also can be act as almost like a backup. As we um, all know, it comes down to money. Oh, absolutely, and, and then it, and then there's a whole other part of it that we've had discussions with professionals about when it comes to insurance and what can be paid for, and and a lot of people, unfortunately, that utilize mobile crisis centers or systems are on Medicaid, and Medicaid mm-hmm. doesn't pay reimburse a lot of professionals for certain things when it comes to mental health. So, or at least if in certain does. states, and I I'm just learning right. about this part of it myself to see what's here and there, but that that's a whole does, other thing. Right. Yeah. It's never it's never for what it should be. Right. Um, the second thing I think is um, I think there needs to be more emphasis on the other outpatient services other than just therapy and medication management. I think partial hospitalization and IOP, um, having more of those available and understanding what they are. Um, again, with the whole language thing. And working, IOP is intensive outpatient. Right. Right, and PHP is the partial hospitalization program. Um, I sorry, I I worked in um, behavioral health insurance for a while, so I, <laughs> I go right to the three letter ones a lot of times. Um, but something that, and I think it's 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 language as well because even working in the insurance industry, everyone's calling them a step down program, but it doesn't need to be a step down program. Like we can use those and utilize those before the crisis hits instead of waiting for the full-blown crisis to happen and hope that an attempt is not made or at least not completed. Um, Cause that's another word actually that I don't always like in that, I guess it's more of a phrase, you know, cause people refer to it as successful. Like yeah, there's nothing su- successful about that. Um, but, um, but no, like utilizing those and understanding that you can use those before the full-blown crisis hits. 
and after too. I think that's important, which Will mm-hmm. and I have both talked about on uh, numerous occasions. That I think there's a, a critical space, we'll call it, that you know lies when you say if you were in some uh, crisis or a hosp- more of a hospital setting, you know, in between the time when you get out and then maybe if you need to go into a, a partial hospitalization program or something, there's that space that, you know, Hey, you're on a five week waiting list. I mean, you know, there, there should be some kind of a, uh, something like a community center or some kind of thing. I don't know what it, that thing is or what it looks like, but something. Right. And that's why I think we need more of them as well. I think we right. need more right. partial uh, PHP and IOP right. programs. I just want to add something while we're talking about this, because a lot of people don't realize this, that actually one of the most dangerous times for someone in that position is following the immediate following of a hospitalization. Within that first week or two, a lot of people, and that's probably stretching it a week or two, but there's a very dangerous part when somebody comes out of hospitalization but does not have any supports or has to fight for supports that that actually puts people even in even more danger if they are actively thinking about it. Right, and I actually, I can completely understand on that. I was very lucky because I came out of inpatient on Wednesday. I started partial hospitalization on Thursday. Um, however, um, my dad's first thought was, let's go grab a cup of coffee before we, you know, when he picked me up from inpatient. So we went to Uncommon Grounds, and I love Uncommon Grounds. I really do. But we went at lunchtime in Saratoga. There's a lot of people there. And luckily, like, but you're right. Like if I didn't have that support, that would have been overwhelming. And I don't know. You know what I mean? However, you know, my dad was there and he just looked at me and I was just kind of like, just completely just staring into space. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, not really. He's like, okay, good thing I got to go cups. Let's go. (laughs) You know? Um, So even just that short amount of time, how overwhelming it is because you go from your little bubble to the real world. Um, and that's a big difference there. So I can completely understand if I didn't have, like you said, the support. And if I wasn't going into partial hospitalization the next day, um, I can understand how that definitely could be a very dangerous time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's awesome that your dad recognized that too. But yeah. he also recognized the fact that you needed to get back out because that's that's another part with with someone who's just coming out of hospitalization is that re-community involvement because i i struggled with this myself after my crisis and when i started when i started the gig in like 2015 i had more i canceled gigs more times than i actually played because i was having a really hard time with being seen and wanting to be seen and i was and i don't know if it was shame fear it was probably Mm -hmm. guilt it was probably a lot of things wrapped up in that burrito but it was it was something that I struggled with. So I can, you know, it's, it's, I've realized that recommuted, recommunitizing yourself or whatever, however you can put it into words is, 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 I don't want to say reintegration. Well, there is some integration. I think that there is some reintegration to it because, because we can, I, again, like you said, and this is a big thing. You are, if you're in an IOP, you're literally, your whole world is that. And uh, depending on what setting you're in, like Four Winds is a completely different setting than other places. And right. I will say this, there's, there's a big difference in that. In that. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference in what you feel like coming out of that compared to some other programs. Right. And I, I think reintegration by definition is the right word there. What 
but I feel like it's the same thing as commit. You think of reintegration and you think of someone, a lot of people will think of someone, you know, coming out of prison or coming out right. of jail. And, right. And then, they, the they'll, then they'll equate it with recidivism or something like, and right. again, it is really in how we, how we talk about it. It is. I think it's, it's hard to appease everybody. Cause I feel like, you know, you get into that kind of game and then you're just, it, it, then, you, then you forget about the cause. Like let's, you know what I mean? Right. Like, let, yeah, we need to we need to focus on that, but we need to like really focus on how we're doing it. You know, doing what we're doing, as opposed Absolutely. to you know, because I Absolutely. like what Will said with the whole integrating after. Like when I when I got out, like I was it was it was so weird because it wasn't like I was there twenty four seven. But when I you know when I was like, okay, well this is it. I'm leaving. I'm not coming back to this place tomorrow. It was scary as hell. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And and I got to the point where I was like, I want to come back. Like, I want to do this every day, you know? Right. And it's interesting because I had, I had that too. Um, but it was scary in different ways. So I, I was terrified leaving inpatient, even though I knew I was going to be back on that same campus, essentially with four wins the next day, you know? Um, but at the same time, partial hospitalization to IOP, I was terrified there going from five days a week to three days a week you know um but and then and then like you said going from iop to hanging out at home for a few days and then going back to work <laughs> you know um and uh yeah i, I think there's there's a it, but transition we'll call it we'll call it a transition. transition is good i like that um, but you're right. You're right. Cause even with the word commit, I, I cringe when I hear it on like TV shows and things like that, you know, but if someone comes up to me and says, you know, whoever committed, you know, I, I'm not going to freak out and yell at them and correct, you know what I mean? You, you have, you're right. There's a time and place to make sure that the messaging is correct, but it, what's more important is, is what you're trying to accomplish um, when it comes to that. Ah, Timmy. I, yeah. I just I just, I want to thank Andrew again for being on. Andrew has been a really uh, like a lighthouse man. He he's tall like a lighthouse, so for <laughs> long, so you can always find him. But um, he Andrew is one of the most gentle people I've ever met, and he's he's got the patience obviously that he's developed from his model railroading, and it's amazing that we can our hobbies are just reflections and what we can put into our hobbies and, and reflect on, man. And, and so I, we want to thank Andrew for being here, man. I'm going to put everything up in show notes as far as stuff for Rita. I'm going to include, I'm going to include the list of the positive and negative emotions. And I'm going to also include some information about four wins and, and stuff like that, because four wins is a program that's here in the five, one, eight. Um, that is, Everybody that comes through that program, and, and Tim is a living example of this, and so are other people that we have in our circle, that these programs, like Four Winds should be a model for everything, and and props to them and, and everything. So it was awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing your story. It's, um, you know, uh, we always say this. It's, these, are, these are the conversations that, you know, we should be having. You know, they're tough and, and we may disagree on things or whatever, but we're we're talking about it. And that's, you know, what we kind of what we kind of set out to do. Will and I. Absolutely, man. So until next week, get well, be safe, 
Stay above. Thank you for giving us a listen. New episodes every Wednesday. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can share, rate, review, and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Other ways to support the show? Follow us on social media. Share the content. Share our episodes. You can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod. For further concerns, show ideas, or just to say hi, you can email us at abovegroundpodcast at gmail. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting mental health. Keep the conversation going and stay above.